1: Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. If you don't know me yet, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. My team and I help companies discover and articulate their purpose to thread it through culture and operations. We work with forward-thinking or forward-reaching organizations to develop inspirational leaders who create cultures where people actually want to come to work and do their best. And we've Provide programs like the Grab Your Gusto that enable individual team members to discover and unleash their passion and purpose at work to catalyze fulfillment, engagement, and productivity. You can learn more about us and how we can work together at elisecortez.com. With us today is John Coleman. He is an investor, writer, and public speaker. He's also the managing partner at Sovereign Capital. Sovereign's Capital, a values-aligned investment firm, and he's also the author of the new book, The HBR Guide to Crafting Your Purpose. We'll be talking about this new book, especially as it relates to corporate purpose. you joins joined today from Atlanta. John, welcome to Working on Purpose.
2: Elise, thank you so much for having me on today.
1: So very welcome. You know, what's so delightful about my job, John, is that I mind my very own business when I see an email come in from a a PR person who introduces me to someone like you, who I wouldn't otherwise have reason to meet. So I'm thrilled to meet you.
2: Well, I'm thrilled to meet you as well and a, a big fan of what you're doing here.
1: Awesome. Well, we have much to talk about. I want to just start by something. Let me just start selfishly, can I?
2: Yes, please. So
1: as you know, I read your book cover to cover whenever I have a, an author on that's part of my own education and tutelage. So thank you for teaching me. But you start your book and it's a beautifully written book. It's very easy to follow. It's very well organized. It's so accessible. So kudos for that. Um, but let's just say right out of the gate, you talk about this idea that most inspiring people that we encounter aren't inspiring by accident. And then you go on and share this really great story about a bus driver named Curtis who is in the Lake, the, Lake, the, the, the Lake Highlands, Dallas area. That's literally just a stone's throw away from where I live. Literally, I could probably crawl there if I need to. Oh, wow. So you, you talk about this really awesome bus driver. So let's just start right out of the gate. Tell us about Curtis and why why you positioned him first right out of the gate about people being not inspiring by accident.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, I encountered Curtis Jenkins' story almost by accident. I think someone forwarded it to me at some point. It was covered by a local news station there. And I just thought it was one of the most inspiring things that I'd seen and really emblematic of the types of topics that I was considering at the time. You know, I think we're plagued by this idea that purpose is something that happens to us, right? Mm -hmm. That it's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that we find, rather than something that we can really craft into our lives and build into everything that we do. And I think almost any job and any life can be extraordinarily meaningful. And I thought this segment was really emblematic of that. You know, Curtis drives a bus. uh, That's really meaningful work, right? He takes kids. uh, He keeps them safe. He takes them to school. Uh, He's their caretaker during that time. Obviously that's uh, people's most precious uh, relationship is with their kids. And so he's got a really important job, but the average person on the street would not think of bus driver as a particularly meaningful profession. Um, If you watch the clip though, Curtis has managed to take something that so many people feel is without purpose or meaning and craft it into one of the most beautiful things that you'd see. You know, if uh, you see Curtis talking about how he is a caretaker for the kids, He views his job not just as running from point a to point b but creating as the segment calls it a yellow bus utopia you know he's the first adult these kids see when they get on the bus in the morning on their way to school He's the last one they see when they get off uh, the bus headed home. And he views himself as this intermediary between school and home and one of the most important adults in their lives. And he's crafted the experience on the bus from something where the kids just, I don't know if you rode a school bus growing up. I did. did. Uh, I know we got in a lot of trouble on the school bus, but I don't ever remember it being quite as fulfilling as, as Curtis's rides. But, you know, he gives all the kids jobs. They have their own titles president, secretary, all these other things. He learns about their lives. These kids draw him pictures. They bring him gifts. He tries to commemorate meaningful moments in their life. And he's converted this thing that could be boring or that could be filled with trouble, that could be stressful for kids into this wonderful, almost utopian experience where these kids get a break uh, from the rest of their lives and really get to participate in a community. And I thought that that was such a great illustration of someone through their own creativity and imagination Uh, taking power of their own life and converting something that others don't find meaningful into something so inspiring that now I think millions of people have watched this clip online. And so I was personally inspired by his story and just wanted to be part of sharing it with others.
1: What a great way to start, Don. And I love that, right? It is so accessible. And really, you know, we individually have complete and utter control over that crafting, which is why I wanted to start the show on that very inspiring um, note, if you will. Okay, so that started then. Um, Curtis is very inspiring here, and it's not by accident. Um, then you go on, and I find that your writing is, is just really quite beautiful, but you, you say, put simply, purpose is what gives your work and life meaning and importance, a sense of impact, depth, and direction. But why does it matter? Because its absence can be devastating, and its presence is essential to flourishing. Oh. Worth well, the price of admission, right there.
2: <laughs> Thank you. You know, I do think that, that people, I think people implicitly understand this, Elise. I think all of us know that there has to be meaning in our lives, but we lose sight of it. You know, sometimes the uh, most important things are the easiest to keep your attention on or the hardest to keep your attention on and focus on. And one of the things I point out in the book is if we reconceive of work-life balance to lead to a flourishing life, right? Because most of us don't ever ask the question, uh, what is it that we're balancing for? If the point of all of this is a flourishing life, one that's meaningful, one that's deep, one that's rich, uh, one that that is uh, a great example of the human experience, I think that's really balancing joy and purpose in all that we do. And I talk about that a little bit more deeply in the book. I think we all know what it means to pursue happiness or joy, right? We like pleasant experiences. We love to go on great vacations. We love to spend time with friends, eat great food. But in its, on its own, without any sense of meaning or purpose, all of that really can lead to superficiality, right? There are a lot of people mm-hmm. who have tons of leisure, uh, who have tons of happiness or joy, whose lives aren't as full as they want. My, my example I love to use of this, if you've read The Great Gatsby, which is a wonderful yes. book in literature, yes. um, F. Scott Fitzgerald focuses on these incredibly wealthy people in New York whose lives are full of, of pleasurable pursuits, and ultimately they're deeply unhappy, And I think that's because they, they neglect to combine that kind of happiness or pursuit of of joyful experiences or pleasant experiences with something meaningful. Um, You know, certainly meaningful experiences without any sense of joy can be difficult. I'm a dad. uh, I've got four kids. Um, I joke with people that sometimes being a dad of a young kid is a very purposeful, but not a very pleasant experience, right? When you're changing (laughs) diapers at two or 3 AM. And if it was all that, it would be really hard. Um, but kids are also fun. I get to play on the trampoline with them. I get to um, you know, watch them play music or watch their basketball games. And it's that intersection of purpose and joy in all that we do that I think creates a truly meaningful and flourishing life and I think can be the answer to a lot of the social ills that we're experiencing now.
1: Hmm. Beautifully said. In fact, you do a nice job of talking about that very example in the book, which just really brings it home. So one of the things that I find really compelling, I've been I've been studying meaning and purpose. So meaning for over 20 years, purpose for a good, oh gosh, I don't know, eight or so years, probably 10 years. And the thing that I found really interesting about what you also write about here is there's a, and what we say, what we know in my world of logotherapy is there's this thing called existential vacuum. Mm-hmm. Which really speaks to that 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 meaninglessness that you're speaking about here. So you you do something really beautiful in your book too that I think is really really important to bring home further what you were just talking about. But you talk about this idea, this lack of happiness in the U.S. and beyond, and you say there's something happening as a social and emotional at a, at a, at a social and emotional level that is hollowing out how we experience life, and that hollowing out is is the is the existential vacuum you say, even in places like the United States. And a lot of this looks like a crisis, not of simple material circumstances, but of meaning, belonging, trust, and significance. We can have everything and still want something else. And it's that else that I think is what people are scratching for. And that else in my world, I believe is meaning and purpose.
2: Gosh, I love that phrase existential vacuum. I'm actually unfamiliar with it. So I've learned something today too. And I think that's such a a really great description of it. You know, um, one of the things that really turned me on to this topic was if if you study uh, recent history in particular, we are living in one of the most prosperous, peaceful times in history. Right, right. Uh, The COVID pandemic notwithstanding, uh, certainly that's thrown a wrinkle into things for people. But if you rewind to 2019, when I started the book, I finished in a very different world. Um, it certainly was one of the most peaceful, prosperous times. And there were exceptions to that, countries or individuals or groups of people who weren't experiencing that prosperity. But along with those increases that you can see in every way imaginable, um, we haven't seen an increase in happiness, right? Mm -hmm. We really haven't. And in fact, some of the richest, most prosperous, most peaceful, most developed countries in the world are some of the least happy, right? Mm -hmm. Or where happiness is stalled or declined. And so it gives you a sense that there must be something deeper than just a person's material or external circumstances that's creating that lack of of fulfillment, right? Or that lack of happiness and flourishing. Um, You see that in the workplace, certainly. Uh, Engagement scores around the world, as you all know, Elise, are incredibly low, I think. One of the most recent global engagement scores I saw was that 15% of employees feel engaged globally. Yeah. I think the U.S. that rises to around 30%. Right. Um, it's still a remarkably low number. And when you look at at scores for where people get a great sense of purpose and meaning, you know, work tends to be at the very bottom of those lists in a lot of surveys. I saw one recently where it fell below reading and music and pets. I mean, it was you know we spend uh, more than a third of our lives at work uh, for many mm-hmm. of us, and mm-hmm. yet it's one of these places that's incredibly empty of meaning for us. And so that really was one of the things that encouraged me to dig into this topic of why people were feeling so empty and why they didn't get a sense of meaning either at work or in the rest of their lives and how we could begin to fix that on an individual level.
1: Mm-hmm. So you're making me think of two things really quick, John. So um, I had the opportunity to live in Brazil in my in my uh, mid-20s back in the 90s, and it was an incredible experience. They, these are people, a lot of these people, Really, they're struggling to put, you know, for one meal to the next, but those people have the ability to be able to savor and enjoy the moment. Like like I never had ever been able to see or experience. They taught me so much about relationships that resilience did. Uh, It really was an incredible life lesson. And then the other side of that, still in in the B department, um, you probably know this, but the country of Bhutan is one of the very few in the whole world that measures happiness, not GDP, but happiness. I think there's something we can learn from that.
2: Yeah, those are such wonderful examples. And you see that around the world, right? Particularly in cultures that explicitly value that sense of happiness and fulfillment, uh, particularly those that value relationships and community, which we can come to, which are such an essential part of purpose. And I think that's one of the things that's a struggle now uh, in the developed world, or at least parts of the developed world in the United States, certainly And and most certainly in this time of COVID, when so many of us have been isolated, we're interacting virtually uh, rather than in real life. I think that isolation from community, that detachment from a sense of engagement and purpose has only risen in that environment and made this even more pressing a topic. Um, And you're right, I think we can look around the world to a lot of places that aren't necessarily as prosperous uh, as the United States, but have really gotten, uh, have begun to think about this more deeply and have uh, have populations that are experiencing this more more deeply.
1: Mm-hmm. This just occurred to me, John, if you don't mind me uh, kind of delving into this. Yeah, uh, you do. just mentioned something really, really interesting and near and dear to my heart. Uh, as a management consultant, obviously, I'm very, very interested in helping my clients to be able to attract their best, cl- their, their best talent and keep them, keep them in, engaged and performing. And we have this thing going on right now, as you know. It's called the great resignation. Yeah. And if you look at what's under that, um, you know, a lot of people are quitting their jobs before they even have anything else lined up and i've been very curious to understand what's under the hood of some of the, some of that movement and i have seen in part that part of what's driving those numbers is that at least some of those people are out to try to figure out how to work on their own
0: now yes, yes. they're
1: they're now yes. saying i'm i'm tired of the job thing and not finding the satisfaction that i want i'm just now's the time i'm going to go try, i'm going to go try to make it on my own do you have any perspective on some of the, the inputs that are driving some of people's desire to want to move in the great resignation
2: I think this is such a fascinating question. I think we're all trying to figure this out right now. Uh, Mm -hmm. I love your perspective on this as well. As I've reflected on it, I think it could be a few things. You know, One, at the most basic level, I think a pandemic like this where people have felt at risk, right? Um, Particularly in the early days of this, we felt at risk. Getting a sense of your own mortality uh, Mm -hmm. really gives you a sense of perspective about what's going to make your life worthwhile. When I was in graduate school, uh, we responded to this wonderful poem. uh, I think it was a Mary Oliver poem uh, about what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. Yes, I
1: know it well. Mm -hmm. uh,
2: It's a great poem that the line after that is actually about it being so short, right? Mm -hmm. And about how your sense of mortality should drive Uh, your desire to live a more meaningful life and to take it, not take it for granted, but treat it as precious. And I think in an environment like that, certainly people get a sense of that. And that just brings closer to their hearts, the idea that they want their life to mean something, they want to leave a legacy. I also think that as we've disrupted people's uh, traditional environments, right, we get in our rhythms, we get in our routines, go to an office nine to five, you put in your time, you kind of fall into habits. This pandemic has totally disrupted our habits, yes, right? Indeed. And that disruption often makes us think about things, I think, in a different way. Uh, in my own experience, if I just use that as an example, although, you know, different experiences apply, you know, when I came into this, I was in a more nine to five office environment. Uh, I traveled uh, four days a week, probably, you know, um, I just took a lot of things for granted in the way that I did life. I spent, you know, a year at home, basically working from home. I started having breakfast and dinner with my kids every day. I started popping out in the middle of the day because we were cooped up inside. I started taking walks in the afternoon and doing calls while walking around a park. And suddenly I realized there were all of these ways I could be doing life differently. That could create a more integrated life for me mm-hmm. um and, you know some of those that probably won't be able to last forever i've already gotten back where it's hard to take a walk in the park every day right now the schedule's not quite as consistent as it was during COVID, but this idea of having dinner and breakfast with my kids more frequently uh, the idea of having a more flexible schedule while I try and draw boundaries, I think everyone is experiencing that in certain ways. And it's helping them to reevaluate the priorities that they have and the type of life that they think they can craft that suits their unique sense of purpose.
1: Mm-hmm. Beautifully said, John. Beautifully said. I agree with so many of those points. It's so great. It's such, such an important thing to to chew on and try to get our heads around let's grab our first break it's already that time i'm your host dr elise cortez we have been on the air with john coleman who's the author of the hbr guide to crafting your purpose we've been talking a bit about some of the notions of what people think about purpose and some of our ideas about what's happening in the world related to it after the break we're going to get more into some myths about purpose and ways to craft and shape purpose stay with us we'll be right back
0: Now, back to Working On Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us. And before we get back in the program, I do want to invite you to check out my book that I got out in November of 2020. It's called Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Ignite Passion and Elevate Cause. I really wrote the book to awaken readers to their passion and their purpose and to help them transform themselves into inspirational leaders. You can find it on Amazon. And I do use that as a basis for my vitally inspired leadership program and the Grab Your Gusto program. Hope you'll check it out. If you're just joining the program today, my guest is John Coleman. He's an investor, writer, and public speaker. He's also the managing partner at Sovereigns Capital, a values aligned investment firm. He's also the author of the new book, The HBR Guide to Crafting Your Purpose. I'm your host, Dr. Lise Cortez. So for this next bit John I I wanted to get into uh, right out of the gates some of the things you talk about you talk about three myths about purpose and I think that's incredibly useful one of the things that I find when I'm out speaking and sharing is people confuse meaning and purpose all the time they confuse goals and purpose so these three myths you're talking about what are they?
2: Yeah. So I kind of it took me about 10 years to come to a real realization about these myths. And I remember it started for me about 10 years ago. I wrote a book called Passion and Purpose, and Mm. it wasn't explicitly about purpose. That wasn't the core content of the book. My friends and I had set out to write a book on next generation leadership. We were coming out of the great financial crisis and we were trying to ask the question, what will leadership in the future look like? Uh, I should have predicted it because there was this red thread throughout where everyone talked about purpose in their lives. So we made it part of the title. It became a theme of the book. And in the very first book event I had, I remember I was I was speaking at the Coop, a bookstore in Harvard Square, and a young lady stood up, I assume an undergraduate, and asked the most obvious question in the world, which is, how do I find my purpose? Right. And at least you wouldn't believe it, but uh, despite <laughs> the fact of having written purpose in the title of my book, I had no idea how to answer her question. I remember... <laughs> Saying something uh, because I thought I had to. It wasn't fulfilling for me. I'm sure it wasn't fulfilling for her. And it really bothered me that I didn't have a good answer to that question. And so as I reflected on it over five or six years, I really came to believe that that single question actually contains three fundamental myths that we hold about purpose. So, how mm-hmm. do I find my purpose? The first of those is that purpose is a thing that you find, right? A pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, as I said mm-hmm. earlier. And I believe instead that purpose is a thing that you build. Purpose is around us all the time. There are sources of meaning in your life every day, but it's about mining those sources of meaning, seeing them in a new way, and crafting them into your life. The second thing is that purpose is a single thing, right? How do I find my purpose? And I think that this is the source of so much angst for people. I agree. They're looking for one single thing to give their life meaning. And what I should have said is your life is always already full of purpose. When I spoke to that young lady, I should have said, you're in community groups, you got friends, you've got family, you're working on your own development at college. Uh, There are a thousand different ways in which you have purpose today. And it's looking to see those plural sources of purpose, not a singular source of purpose Mm -hmm. that really creates a fulfilled and balanced life. And the third myth that I think we hold is that purpose is stable over time. And I think that it changes over time. Again, there's this myth that there's this one thing that will change your life, right? It's uh, Neo getting red-pilled in the matrix and finding the purpose of his life mm-hmm. or, um, uh, or, or any Hollywood story where there's a hero's journey and someone suddenly encounters this transformational experience. I think that's actually quite rare for most people. Mm-hmm. and I think instead we have different sources of meaning and purpose at different phases of life and learning to see that and to embrace that can make us more content, it can eliminate some of our anxiety about the topic, and it can really enrich our lives as we learn to embrace new sources of purpose at different points of transition for us.
1: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. And then going on to that, John, one of the things that I also appreciate that you do in the book is you talk about ways to shape purpose. And one of the, to your point, what I find when I'm out speaking to people, and if I talk about this thing about purpose, I immediately notice people getting as you say, tense and anxious. They're like, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know. I'm a failure. No, you're not. That's a way different set of questions here. So this is incredibly encouraging, I think, that, that you talk about ways to shape purpose. So share a few that you talk about in the book, would you please?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of talk about four primary ways in which I think people can shape purpose, particularly into their professional lives. There are obviously uh, quite a lot of other things, but, but particularly as it relates to work, I talk about four ways to shape your life. One is uh, it's kind of a dual concept. It's two concepts to craft your work and to make work a craft. Uh, The first of those craft your work is uh, a very popular concept in uh, the management literature today, at least, which I'm sure you're quite familiar (laughs) with um, called job crafting. And it's this idea that you can make the job you have the job you want by learning to think of it differently And change small things about your job that makes this uh, this core set of activities that you do more meaningful and more purposeful for you and more enjoyable. A great example in the management literature from from a professor uh, uh, who studied this is she followed around janitors in hospitals. So people who have, again, kind of an unglamorous job, janitor in a hospital. And she found that there was a real segregation between those who found great meaning and purpose in what they did and those who didn't. And as she followed those who found greater meaning, she found that instead of just viewing their jobs as janitorial services, they really viewed themselves as caretakers and helpers for patients. One of them would move artwork around hospital rooms so that patients who were there for a long period of time didn't have to stare at the same artwork every day. One of them would experiment with different cleaning fluids to make sure they were finding things that were least irritating to their patients. They just really transformed their own work. It was still the same job that these other folks had, but like Curtis Jenkins, they learned to think of it in a different way and to craft it to be something more meaningful. So that's that concept of, of job crafting or crafter work. The second, I think, is to make work a craft. And you know, there used to be this really deep concept of craft and work. Uh, for thousands of years, actually, uh, that still exists in certain places, but that we've lost. In the book that uh, I interview a wonderful person named Luke Pontifal, and Luke started something called the Thornwillow Press, uh, which is one of these yeah. wonderful, eclectic businesses uh, that makes handmade paper. They do letterpress editions of books that are just beautiful, um, You know, something totally different than you would get. Normally, but the idea is that there's this this work of craft around bookmaking and making paper uh, and printing beautiful things that helps to embody those things with a real sense of soul uh, and meaning in themselves. It's the idea that you take on any activity you do in your job, whether that's PowerPoint or Excel or handcrafting letterpress books, and you work to perfect that, and you treat that as something that's deeply meaningful to you so much so that you're trying to improve every moment of every day. And that's treating your work as a craft. Um, the third that I talk to is uh, connecting your work to service, right? And uh, you look in almost any of the literature out there in social sciences, and there is almost nothing that improves your happiness or sense of fulfillment as much as serving others. right? We lose sight of that in the job, um, but the opportunities for service are all around us every day. It's our colleagues, it's our customers, it's our partners, it's vendors. Um, you know, when Curtis Jenkins sees the kids on his bus, he doesn't see an obstacle, he doesn't see an obligation, he sees an opportunity to serve. And that, right. that view of service really transforms work. And then finally, investing in positive relationships. And I think this is actually, if I were to highlight one thing that I think is the the core of purpose, it's positive relationships, it's meaningful community. Um, uh, I won't go on about it too long, but there's this wonderful study called the Harvard Grant Study, and they studied uh, these men. It was a, it started back in the 1940s, so it was an all male study, although there was a parallel women's study. And as they studied these men over the course of 70 or so years, 80 years, I think by the end of it. Um, the, the primary researcher on the study, who is this kind of staid Harvard academic, was asked what the, so, the core finding of the work was. And he said that happiness is love, full stop. That when they looked at the lives of these individuals, the ones who ended up the happiest and most fulfilled in their lives had deep, meaningful relationships. They had a sense of love. And so I find investing in positive relationships at work is something we, we all need to focus on to get more, greater meaning.
1: Hmm. Hmm. So, as you were talking, John, I was I was thinking, um, you know, because I have such a great part. My show is such a it's it's a thought leadership platform, and I use it as a way to be able to teach myself and then share that that learning with people around the world. And you're reminding me at B uh, B Bocalandro on my radio show, and she really talks about a concept of of social purpose that is somewhere between your job crafting and your uh, connect your work to a service, but she had this this quick little short example of um, this parking attendant, so similar kind of idea, right, he's he's parking cars all day, but what he does is he takes it upon himself as, as, after he parks somebody's car, he goes around to all of the cars that he's parked, and he measures the tread on all those cars, and then he goes and he reports to the owners when they come back, you are dangerously close to blowing a tire, get these things changed right away, stat. And, you know, because he knows that if they, if they walk out of there and they, you know, they don't know and he's saving lives. Right. And so for him, it's a simple little thing that he's doing to inject a little bit of social purpose into his job that makes him feel like I'm serving other people. I matter. I'm making a difference. And it's beautiful.
2: It's so simple. I love that. And, you know, there, there are hundreds of people who have his job. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's very rare for one of them to look so deeply into that job to find something so meaningful and service oriented. And I think literally all of us, every single one of us, if we looked at our jobs differently, would find things like that that we could keep in mind for our own meaning.
1: Absolutely. And that's why I wanted to talk about this because I, I stand for empowerment. I, I stand for encouragement, inspiration, and all the, the things that we've been talking about so far are all things anybody listening can start to sprinkle into their own individual work lives and help their team to do the same. So I find that just already lifting.
2: Yeah, that's fantastic.
1: So you have this really fan, I'm a sucker for acronyms, and you have this LABORS acronym that we have to talk about. So being able to find, find purpose through this acronym. And again, I love this, John, because again, for those people who are like, I don't know what my purpose is. But you, you do, it's just that you haven't really articulated it or you haven't got your arms around it. So talk to us about LABORS, if you would, please. L yeah. is for love. Great way to start
2: acronyms are super helpful to me as well and you know i wouldn't pretend that this is everything that you could find that gives a source of meaning but i find is we're thinking about these plural sources of purpose right this idea that there are different ways in which we can achieve purpose it is helpful to at least anchor in different areas in which we could find that and so i have this labor's uh labor's acronym Uh, The L is for love, so meaningful relationships, which we just talked about. And it's first for a reason. I think that every life uh, deserves and is worthy of meaningful relationships, love-based relationships. And finding ways to incorporate those into our life, to invest in those, I think that's been a part of the great resignation and this change during the pandemic when we've we've been uh, either most exposed to that or in our isolation been most longing for that. And so I'd encourage everyone to think about love. The A is for avocations and self in, or self-improvement. These are hobbies, basically, or things that we do for self-improvement. And I think this is something we neglect. You know, when you get caught up in just doing your responsibilities as a, a parent, for example, or someone at work, you can lose sight of these things that you do for fun that give you meaning, whether that's knitting or running 5Ks uh, or singing or playing guitar. There are all sorts of things in our hobbies and, and the things that we do for self-improvement that I think uh, if structured properly can give us a great sense of meaning. The B in labors is for beauty. And again, something I think we often overlook, uh, although when you say it, people go, yes, of course. (laughs) Like that is where I get purpose, but we don't focus on it, right? It's when you go uh, to to a park and you look around, I've talked to multiple people who said the same thing about COVID when they'd go walk around outside because they wanted to get away from their desk it was this transformational experience to see the flowers and hear the birds and see the trees. And it was beautiful. It's why we put great artwork in a room. And many of us are obsessed with that. It's reading a great poem, right? So it's not beauty as, as, uh, as a lot of celebrity magazines would define it, but beauty in the deepest sense of the word is finding something uh, that gives us a sense of perspective on life. Um, O is for occupation, which we've talked about quite a lot. Uh, it's our work, right? I, um, uh, I had a great mentor who, when I was transitioning jobs recently, you know, I talked about these plural sources of purpose. And I said, you know, I'm I'm a little light in the occupation area, but I have all these other sources. And he pushed me and he said, John, you know, you're spending 30 to 40% of your life at your job. That can't be something that's light on purpose. That has to be core your purpose. And that's such a good push for all of us, right? Don't accept uh, a lack of meaning in your work because uh, that would be a waste of a wild and precious life. And it's something we all need to focus on. Um, the, uh, R is for religion or philosophy. And so I'm a big advocate. If you look at the, the, uh, research around the world, uh, studies of different religions. So I'm not necessarily focusing on a particular religion. Uh, there's a lot of, of research that shows that people who have a sense of their religious or philosophical orientation and the values inherent in that a thing greater than themselves, that sense of perspective and direction and mission gives them a deeper sense of purpose. And so my encouragement to most people is to, uh, regardless of what that is for you, uh, to really investigate it, to put thought into it, and to take the time to reflect on it. And then the S in labors is for service, uh, which we talked about. You know, I think a life without service is is not a completely full life and that we all have opportunities to serve others. And uh, and it's something very easy to execute if we just begin to look around us.
1: Mm-hmm. Delightful, John. Absolutely love it. Great way to send us into our last break. I'm your host Dr. Elise Cortez. we went on with John Coleman. He is the author of the, the HBR guide to crafting your purpose. We've been talking a bit about ways to craft purpose into our everyday lives. After the break, we're going to dive more deeply into building corporate purpose. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Now, back to Working On Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working On Purpose. Before we get back to John, I want to share a bit more news with you, and that is that in August of 2021, I was able to get this anthology out. So I literally scoured the world to find 25 women to share their most intimate stories of how they discovered their purpose and are now serving from it. It's called Passionately Striving and Why. So that is now available on Amazon, and I'm actually more proud of that particular book than I am my own first full-length book. I'm very proud of my could bust. Now I'm moving on and, and trolling the world for men to, to showcase their stories of purpose. So if you know any men who are living their purpose and want to be part of this book, please contact me. If you're just joining us, my guest today is John Coleman. He is an investor, writer, and public speaker. He's the managing partner at Sovereigns Capital, a values-aligned investment firm. He's also the author of the new book, The HBR Guide to Crafting Your Purpose. I'm your host, Dr. Luis Cortez. So for this last bit here, John, I really wanted to, do, to delve more deeply specifically into the corporate realm. And as you heard me say in my introduction, I do this kind of work with organizations. It's incredibly meaningful, so powerful. And I really appreciate the way that you went about talking about some of your approaches in your book. So I want to get into into some of that next. So um First, you talk about there are six key actions we can take to make work relationships more fulfilling and meaningful. So I want to start with that because, as you say, relationships are so, so important. And what is a company if not but a whole series of connections of and relationships? So these six key actions, what are they?
2: This topic. Yeah, absolutely. And Elise, I know you've done incredible work on this topic, and uh, I, I wish we could speak in greater depth about yours. But I know, I know um, uh, you'll do that in other forums. And I can't wait to read some of the books that you've, you've spoken about too. Um, you know, again, because relationships are so central to life, positive relationships are so central to life, and work is where we spend forty percent of our lives. Mm-hmm. Neglecting your relationship at work is, uh, I, I think, a real gap that most people have. I mean, too many people are either stuck in toxic work environments or simply aren't investing in positive relationships or have allowed work relationships to go stagnant. And so I offer just a few potential ways in which people could begin to improve those. One of those, uh, that I talked about at the beginning is to adopt the mindset of care and trust. You know, I think many, uh, work environments, uh, people can become defensive. They can become a little, um, Uh, paranoid might be the wrong word, but um, skeptical of the motivations of others around them and, and fear of others around them, particularly if they've gone through difficult things like layoffs before, if they've had a difficult relationship with a colleague. And um, you know, sometimes that's warranted. I think sometimes there are negative environments, but I encourage people, uh, especially before relationships have had a chance to go that way, to really try and force yourself to adopt a mindset of care and trust, care for your colleagues Uh, trying to serve them trying to invest in them and a trust that they also will try and serve and invest in you at least until they breach that trust because trying to start out on the right foot at least gives a relationship a chance uh, to get off the ground and gives people a chance to live up to those positive expectations Uh, the second which which i think many people have written about is to find a mentor and to be one too Uh, I add that last part because I find that almost everyone wants to find a mentor and I think that's incredibly (laughs) important. Um, But one of the things I used to push my teams on was, uh, you know, everyone would come to me asking for mentorship, even very senior people, but I rarely had people come to me asking to be a mentor, to mentor others. And my point to others is, I think it's incredibly important that you have mentors in your life. If you don't have four or five or six people at work and outside of work that you would consider mentors, I think you should go find those people. But for every person that you find as a mentor, my push to others is to be a mentor to that many people, right? To pay it forward because you'll get a lot out of those relationships and you'll be helping others to live more fulfilled as well. Um, The third for me is to focus on your most positive relationships. I think there can be a tendency to focus on the negative, a tendency to get sucked into the more difficult relationships, um, just as it's a tendency to focus on our negative attributes rather than our strengths. And just as one great piece of professional advice is to lean into your strengths, to accentuate those. Mm -hmm. I think spending time on positive relationships is a good thing. Um, The fourth that I talk about is to repair broken and stagnant relationships. I mean, that goes without saying. Um, Again, there are times when you should walk away from a relationship, uh, but you should at least not approach them passively. You know, if there's a chance to restore something, take the leadership role in seeking to restore that. The the fifth concept I talk about is to continuously pursue new and diverse relationships. And I think this links, you know, we all talk about diversity every day now and um, diversity in hiring, et cetera. Diversity is a very personal thing, too, which is to surround yourself with people different from you, Mm -hmm. uh, to surround yourself with people with different experiences who look different, who have different cultural experiences, because that's a personally enriching thing just as much as it's an organizationally enriching thing. And then the final piece of advice I have to people, uh, even about work relationships, is to find time for your relationships outside of work. You know, there are a whole group of us who get so caught up in our professional lives that we neglect our friends, our parents, our brothers and sisters, our families. And um, you've got to carve out time for those things because that's what makes work even more meaningful.
1: Mm-hmm. I like how that creates an overall just abundant fabric, a strong fabric in your life. I just really like how that that just all works together. So that's beautiful. Um, nicely done. And, and again, back on the whole thing, I really appreciate just a lot of what you emphasize is the important of, importance of relationships. But I also really like that diversity piece, too. I love to be around people who have a very profoundly different way of the way they grew up. Um, is very different from mine. I like I have learned so much, for example, from my, my black friends. Oh my gosh, Black Lives Matters. I learned so much about the experience of what it is to grow up as a black human being in the United States. It is profoundly different than what I experienced. And I learned I learned a lot about, wow, you know, uh, shaping of mindsets and, and um, really, you know, to not to be so, not to take so, what I want to say, um, not advantage, but are just for granted. How easy my life has been
2: well and I think you know one of the things that, to go on a bit of a tangent uh, at one point I wrote an article about the benefits of poetry for professionals and one of the great aspects of good poetry is that really good poetry shakes up your way of seeing things right it's, mm, jarring. Yeah. it's hard yeah. to read quickly yeah and I think that building diverse experience in relationships is like that right one of the reasons I love to travel to places and cultures that are so different from my own. I lived in the Middle East for a while. I love to travel to places like China, et cetera, is you can see a culture that's so fundamentally different than yours that it forces you to reconsider things you've taken for granted, right? It shakes you out of your prototypical way of seeing the world. And I think really diverse uh, friendships and relationships of different kinds, right? Uh, There's a multiplicity of versions of that do the same thing. They really force you to reconsider the world in a new way hmm so important so refreshing too
1: okay so we've just got a few minutes left here. I want to cover two bits of this here I want to talk if you would just briefly about building corporate purpose and I like how you talk about core purpose values and satellite sources of purpose I do something similar that core purpose around the vision and the mission but would you say just briefly talk about those things and then I want to also talk
2: about the crafting of corporate purpose sure yeah I'll keep it I'll keep it short you know, I, I encourage corporations to think about purpose on at least three levels. One is the sense of corporate mission and purpose. Mm-hmm. I think people have embraced that, but as, as we may talk about further on, there are ways in which to make that core purpose and mission more authentic. You know, it's more than words on a page. you can't hire a branding company to come create your purpose. Nope. It's got to be deeply held and mm-hmm. uh, but I do think that's core to getting everybody to row in the same direction in the company. Yeah. Yeah. The second is a source is uh, values, very explicit values. and again, They've got to be more than words on a page, and that's a theme that I would emphasize. I think you emphasize it. Writing down a series of values isn't isn't how you get there. It's got to be deeply held values within your company that you help to synthesize and articulate, and that give people a sense of camaraderie, uh, uh, rallying around these positive attributes that you all hold. I have a friend. Chris Carneal in the book, uh, who runs a company called Booster Thon, and he's abandoned the use of the word values and he uses the word virtues now because mm. he wants to refresh people's view that these are a positive set of attributes that we hold together. And then the third thing that I add that people sometimes execute but don't really consider part of their corporate purpose is this idea of satellite sources of purpose. So in a big organization or, or even a mid sized or small organization, every individual has their own unique motivations. And creating opportunities for them aligned with the corporate purpose yes. to do things uh, that are unique to them, that drive them personally, uh, that offer them multitudes of sources of purpose at work, I think is a core element of having a purpose-driven uh, professional environment.
1: Mm-hmm. I, uh, that's just very crisp. Uh, and I take a very, very similar aligned approach to what you just talked about. So we're, we're, we're lockstep there. Okay, so now finally to finish out here, I want to talk about crafting corporate purpose. So you talk that you offer, I think it's seven different different aspects here about crafting, starting with engaging the organization comprehensively. So let's just talk through those briefly as well, if we could, please.
2: Yeah, and what I attempt to address here, I do think the process can work a bit different uh, depending on what you are as a company, where you are in your development. Um, but what I find again is so many companies have they've realized that purpose is an issue, right? They get it now, That's been a battle in itself. I remember reading start with why the first time, and it was kind Mm -hmm. of this jarring experience that you should have a why and not just a what at work. Now I think everybody's embraced that, but a lot of companies have failed to understand that the why has to be like an important why, one that's deeply held, one that's authentic, Rather than again, one I, I see so many companies now hire kind of a branding agency or whatever to come write a purpose that's catchy, but isn't really held by
0: yeah. oh. is really
2: held by the company, right? And um, uh, and isn't deeply worked into the uh, d- isn't deeply worked into the fabric of the company. And so I offer a few thoughts. One of those, like you said, is to engage the organization comprehensively. Don't just make it a CEO thing or a leadership thing. Yeah. Start to see what purpose already exists within your company. Um, I think it's important to periodically revisit those things like mission and values.
1: Absolutely. They need um, dusting and further articulating and refining all the time.
2: They're a living organism, right? Right, right. Over time And you can't set it and forget it. You've got to refresh those comprehensively. Um, I think you've got to begin to highlight the lives of those who are leading them. Uh, when I worked at McKinsey and Company, they were extraordinary at this. Uh, they would highlight people who live the firm values at every single in-person office, meaning to be the beginning of the meeting every time. But giving people that sense of pride and achieving purpose, I think, is incredibly important. Um, I think you got to listen at all levels of the organization, just as you need to engage the op- organization comprehensively. Um, the Dallas School District could probably listen to people like Curtis Jenkins and get a much better sense of what their purpose is. And so you never know when you're going to find things like that. And then I'd encourage people to communicate consistently, right? It's not, again, it's not just a set it and forget it, a one time thing. This has got to become a continuous part of the dialogue that you all have as a company. Mm-hmm.
1: I got to tell you, John, it is some of the most fulfilling work that I get to do when I go in and I work with organizations. And first, what we do is we do, you know, generally some kind of a survey to, to, to figure it out, how they describe their purpose, their mission, their vision. And then we, as you say, we gather them and we together, you know, a, what I call wild and alive scratch to further refine that. It is the coolest thing. And, the, and I'm like, is it this? They're like, no, it's not that. We, we, are you saying this? No, it's not quite that. Well, what is it? And we all come together and we do it together. It's that, as you say, the comprehensive, it is the Coolest work to get to do, and then when they live that, and they're like, "Yeah, we're part of this. This is us." It is yes. the coolest thing.
2: it's coolest. I love thing. that, Elise. And it's got to be great for you to know that you're helping to transform people's lives at work, right? I mean, you've got to get a great sense of meaning out of that as well.
1: I do, and you know what else is? Here's what I find. It has been a tough couple of years leaders out there and so you need to be fed and one of the ways you can be fed is to get back in touch with that heartbeat of your business the heartbeat of, of why you're doing this and when you remember that sometimes a lot of the stuff that's facing you gets a lot easier to deal with so that's kind of where me being an organizational logotherapist therapist kind of comes in handy So here we are, John. We did it. We got it all the way to the end of the show. It goes by so fast. You know the show is listened to by people all over the world. We're out to really create workplaces where people actually want to come to work and give their best. We create inspirational leaders that lead them to their greatness, and we do business that betters the world. With that, what would you like to leave people with?
2: Well, I just leave people with the the idea that they do have a sense of agency. If they're feeling a lack of meaning right now, uh, they do have control over reforming their own lives and taking ownership of it. Um, there is hope and that the best time to start is now don't let the perfect be the enemy the good don't wait for something to happen to you if you're feeling a lack of meaning right now really really engage this topic and and take ownership of that because i think everyone's life can be incredibly meaningful uh, and the time to start is today
1: Mm -hmm. beautiful john great way to finish and i'm certain that people listening to this or watching this are going to want to probably contact you what's the best way to reach out to you is there a website or an email address
2: yeah, so I have a website, JohnWilliamColeman.com, uh, that you can visit. It's got my books up there, and it's got a contact form if you'd like to reach out.
1: Please do. It's also it's also on the on the screen for those of you that are actually watching. And once again, it's JohnWilliamColeman.com. John, thanks so much for being with us. It's just a pleasure to know you.
2: Thank you so much, Elise, and thank you for the work you do.
1: Absolutely. If you missed the live show last week, you can always catch a re-recorded re- podcast. We were on with April Rennie. She's the author of Flux, Eight Superpowers for Thriving in Constant Change. Next week, we'll be on the air with Alicia O'Hare talking about her book and also what she's doing as a at the leadership consulting firm Tornasol. Her book is called The Unfolding Path, The Way We Live and Lead Our Lives. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our lives, so let's work on purpose.